but a life centered in Christ and a life that's abiding in Christ and allowing Christ to abide in us through a spirit-filled life, that takes us into abundant life. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Oh, good morning. It's hard to believe that we've already arrived at September 2020. And while I'm sure during part of this year it seemed like a lifetime in 2020, it's been six months since our COVID outbreak and the radical change that it's brought to all of our lives. It's also nine weeks away from a presidential election. That just blows my mind that that's already here. And then 110 days until we celebrate Christmas. Man, time is flying. But if you're not careful, you might be falling in the trap that many people are falling into, which is, man, if we could just get to 2021 and leave 2020 behind. That's a terrible way to live. It's a real way that many people fall into, but it's the worst way that we could possibly live life. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul taught us that we should cherish every day. Scripture teaches us that each day is a gift from God. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Well, the Apostle Paul experienced a new life in Christ. He went from living a religious life and uh, being trapped in that just getting it done type of life and maybe not enjoying life to the fullest to then finding Christ and living life abundantly. You see, abundant life is an overflowing life, no matter what the circumstances are. It's living life to the fullest. But everything in this sin-torn world is draining the life out of us. But a life centered in Christ and a life that's abiding in Christ and allowing Christ to abide in us through a spirit-filled life, that takes us into abundant life. That's why we're spending time each month going through uh, the Scriptures. We need to see Christ not only as our Savior, but also as our sustainer. He said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. He said, I will be living water to your soul. That's what we need during these days. And 2020 can be just as abundant as 2021 or any other year yet to come. So we're encouraging you to draw from that living water each and every day. Just like Israel had to learn in the wilderness with the manna. As they were there in the wilderness, without fast food stores, without grocery stores or convenience stores, millions that were now following Moses out of Egypt needed food and needed nourishment, and they had no provisions. And yet God showed himself strong on their behalf. He was their provider, and he gave them the provisions they needed every single day. It was called manna. And if we look back on that story, we see how God can be our sustainer even when we're in a time like a desert or a wilderness. That manna would show up, and as they would wake up each and every day, every single morning, that manna was there. We need to realize that every day we wake up, uh, Jesus is always there for us to provide for us everything we're going to need for that very day. If you go back and you look at the story of the manna in the wilderness, you see that it was a fresh daily provision. He didn't give them a week's worth of groceries. He didn't give them a month's worth of groceries. Every single day they woke up, they woke up to fresh provisions. They didn't have to deal with leftovers. They didn't have to go back to past provision. It was a daily provision. And the same is true for you and me. If you're still relying off of a past experience you've had with Christ years ago when you were saved, years ago when you went to Falls Creek, or at some moment in your past, 
You're, lifting, you're living off of leftovers. That's not the abundant life. Daily, we should be receiving from the Lord and fellowshipping with the Lord. You look back on the manna in the Old Testament, it was adequate provision. It was exactly what they needed for that day and for that moment. They would go out in the morning, first thing, they would start their day and they would gather up the provision. I hope you're doing the same thing as you spend a chapter a day in the Word of God, beginning your day, reading a chapter a day. That's your provision. That's your provision for the whole day. That's starting your day receiving from the Lord. As they would go out, they would gather just enough provision, not for a week and not for a month, but for that day. And then we see, as we look to it, that the next day there was a fresh batch waiting. They didn't live off the leftovers. They didn't wake up the next day wondering if there would be a provision. Every single day it was fresh and it was new. And I hope that will be true for you as we continue to read through the gospel. So now we are in September reading through the next gospel, the gospel of Luke. So I thought I'd give you a little bit of background, uh, why God selected Luke. Uh, The author is the Holy Spirit speaking through the unique servant that we know as Luke. Now, what do we know about Luke? Well, it's very interesting. Very little is specifically mentioned about Luke. We have to kind of put the pieces together. What we know from Colossians 4.14 is that Luke was a physician by trade. He's referred to in Colossians 4, verse 14, as the beloved disciple. He was a close, close, dear brother to the Apostle Paul. We'll talk more about that as we go through the gospel. He's the only Gentile writer in the entire New Testament. The only Gentile writer. That's unique. The gospel of Luke and the book of Acts was both written by Luke. When you add all those up together with Luke being the the longest of the four gospels, one-third of the New Testament was entrusted to this physician named Luke. If you go through other parts of, especially the book of Acts, you find that he was the main traveling companion for the Apostle Paul, that they did several missionary journeys together, the second journey and the third missionary journey. Uh, Luke was right there by Paul's side, probably uh, for two practical reasons. One, being a physician, Paul had now had many physical ailments from all the beatings he had taken sharing the gospel, the challenges of his health. Having a physician alongside allowed him to continue on with his calling. But then they became blood brothers through Christ. Not only was he a benefit and a beloved physician, he was also a beloved missionary with the Apostle Paul. They spent countless hours together. And so we find through Luke a certain discipleship in his heart, a certain awareness as he spent all that time with the Apostle Paul, uh, all the way to the very end with the Apostle Paul. You can read through and find that he was even a part of that shipwrecked voyage on the way to Rome, which would be the last part of Paul's journey here on this earth. They would be in prison together in Caesarea. And out of all of that, God raised up this unique man with unique gifts to be the author of this unique gospel. As I said, it's the longest of the four gospels. There's a lot of detail in the book of Luke. And as you read through it, you're going to see in greater depth, with greater detail, because of the uniqueness of Luke. Uh, You're going to find that he was a, a noted historian, which allows him to record things from a historical perspective, with great precision, with great accuracy, and attention to details. 
And you're also going to find in this gospel that he tracks chronologically, just like a historian would, uh, the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, we find uh, the birth of Christ through Luke chapter 3, we find the beginning of his earthly ministry, we find the temptation in the wilderness, and now we wake up in Luke chapter 4 and we see his earthly ministry. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4 and let's start in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was being praised by all. So we see here the launching of Jesus' ministry. He's very popular at this point. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Uh, Life change happening everywhere, and huge crowds are following this miracle worker. And then, verse 16, he came back home. He comes back to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. So we look in on verse 16, we see Jesus' custom. Did you see that there? It says he had a custom, which was what? That on the Sabbath, he would immediately find himself in the synagogue, that place of worship. Sabbath worship, corporate worship, was his custom. It was something he was devoted to because that was God's design. We're worshipers every day of the week, privately. We have that one-on-one walk, as we talked about, the manna in the wilderness, if you will, receiving from God and abiding in Christ, abiding in the Lord. And yet God has set aside a day, as we see in Scripture, don't forsake the assembling, the gathering of the brethren. And so Jesus was committed to not just being a worshiper, uh, but also a corporate worshiper. And realize this, that not everyone in the synagogue was there for the right reasons. I'm sure he could look around just like we can in our churches today, and we can find plenty of reasons and distractions and and people who we might call or label a hypocrite or a stumbling block, and yet we find that while not everyone had their hearts in the right place, we look in and we see that Jesus was always in the right place. It was his custom. Now, many today can't gather You have a health ailment. You have uh, a doctor's uh, order to shelter at home. You have a condition that maybe is not wise to be out in crowds, and and that's a different story. And yet there are many who've gotten used to not meeting, to not gathering, and I'm afraid it might be leading into a spiritual ditch. really want to challenge you to look at the example of the Lord Jesus and to have the same custom that he had that we continue to find ways to gather together. Our our small groups are doing that. We gather on Saturday nights through September outside. We're gathering indoors in our ABF small groups as we're getting used to regathering together inside the building. And then on October 4th, we'll gather again. And if you can make it, if you are uh, able to be in large settings, in safe distancing, a safe space, I hope that will become your custom again. Don't fall into that ditch of thinking, well, you know, I did all right for the last six months. I'm doing this online. I'm still staying attached to my church. That's that's what we've had to do, but that's not what we should do forever. I want to encourage you to make sure to make that a priority just as Jesus did, to find your way back and, and to make sure that you have that discipline and that dedication and living by God's design. We know that 
We can't even blame it on COVID that before COVID, 80% of our city was sleeping in on Sunday mornings. 80% of the Bible Belt has drawn a conclusion that I'm okay without gathering with other believers. I've got my God, I've got my ticket to heaven, and I'm fine. Jesus was fine, and yet he still had the custom of being faithful to being a worshiper, and especially on the Sabbath. Uh, Now, as we look in on this story, we find that he gathered there at the synagogue, and he showed up for worship service. Now, when they did worship in the synagogue in those days, there were two parts to their worship. When you would show up, you would gather there with other Jewish believers, and they were looking to the law and the prophets. First half of the worship service, somebody would stand up, a rabbi, and he would teach from the law. So they would get that fed to them. The second half of the worship service, they would then look to the prophets. And another rabbi would stand up. And he would read from the scrolls, from the writings of the prophets. Isn't that interesting? A focus on the law and the prophets. Remember what we saw last Sunday? Jesus said, all that you found in the law and the prophets point to me. We talked about Nathaniel coming to Andrew, and he said to him, all that we have heard, all that we have read, we have found the one that the law and the prophets pointed us to, all about Jesus. Well, we wake up here in this part, and we find it's interesting. Look at verse 17. As we get to verse 17, we find that Jesus is called on in the second half of the worship service, for he's handed a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he has been asked to unpack a focus, a sermonette, if you will, from the prophets. Talk about an open door. The Holy Spirit opens this door wide open for Jesus to point people to who he is. All that's in the law, all in the prophets point to Jesus. So, It says, verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book, and he found the place where it is written. Now, what was he looking at? He was looking at, if you want to write in your notes, Psalm 61, verses 1 through 2. We'll come back and look at it in a minute, but it's quoted here in Luke, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. After he read this passage in Isaiah chapter 61, it says he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Wow, what a divine appointment. What a powerful moment in this worship service. Lord Jesus himself stands up and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61 that was written hundreds and hundreds of years earlier about the very one who's now preaching from Isaiah 61. Everything in the law and everything in the prophets was pointing to this rabbi, this one who was preaching from Isaiah. And notice it says that all eyes were fixed on him. I want to encourage you or challenge you this morning about your focus and your vision. Where are your eyes focused right now? Are your eyes focused on what you don't have? Are your eyes focused on discouraging things going on within our communities or our culture? Are your eyes distracted by what you used to have and what you don't have? 
what somebody else has that you don't have? Or can we honestly say this morning, Lord, my eyes are fixed on you. And if they aren't there right now, get them there. Right now, just say, Lord, help me just to keep my eyes on you. The enemy loves to distract us. He loves to get us to look away from the will of God, the person of God. Ask Adam and Eve. It's exactly what got them into trouble. They had paradise. They had all of God's provision. They walked with God daily. And yet there was a day where the enemy got them to focus on something else, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they looked at it, and when they got their focus on that and saw that it was desirable to the eyes, got their eyes off God and off his will, that's when they got into trouble. And that's when death came into the human experience because the result of sin is always destruction. And any time that we take our eyes off the Lord and his will, we will find the same destruction, the same strife, the same division coming into our hearts, our homes, and our lives. Verse 21, and Jesus began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? At one point, they're astonished. At one point, they're impacted by the Spirit of God honoring the reading of God's Word and the preaching of God's Word. And then they take their eyes off that and they go back to a physical realm. Don't get distracted. Don't miss what God wants to say to you through His Word. And while the Spirit was starting to move, all of a sudden, this spirit of unbelief came into the room. Whoa, 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 wait. Isn't this Joseph's son? This is just a carpenter's kid. This is nobody special. And all of a sudden, the distraction is away from what God wanted to do in their hearts to seeing a focus on something else. Jesus was preaching to them the truth. And as they were looking at this particular scripture, this part of the book of Isaiah, it was actually Isaiah addressing the issue of what they called Jubilee. Now for you, that might means something totally different than what it meant to a Jewish audience, but the year of Jubilee was a powerful celebration throughout all of Israel. This was a celebration that happened every 50 years. It was a unique celebration. It was a, a time that not only did they celebrate with a festival-like atmosphere, but specific things happened every 50th year. On that year of Jubilee, on that 50th year, if you owed a debt that you could not pay, if you had been enslaved to someone because you had borrowed money and you couldn't pay it back and now you were an indentured servant or slave, on that 50th year, the year of Jubilee, you were released from your debt. You went free and all was forgiven. Isn't it interesting that this whole passage that Jesus is preaching from, speaking of Jubilee, was pointing to what was being fulfilled in front of them. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled. What he was saying is, this is being fulfilled in me. All the law and the prophets in this case point to what I will do for you. What did Jesus do for you and for me, for them that were in the audience that day? He was going to be the Savior of the world. And he was going to be the one who would fulfill the reality of what they were calling Jubilee. He would be the one that forgive all the debts that we could not pay. For those of us that were enslaved to sin, owned by sin, and was going to separate us from God for all of eternity, that was taken away through Jesus. 
the Savior of the world. So let's go back and let's see what was fulfilled. What, what was it that Jesus was called to do by taking on flesh and coming to this earth? Go back to verse 18. Back up a ways. Go back to what he preached from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, I'm going to put up very quickly Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Now, it's very interesting. He doesn't read the whole last part of verse 2. He stops in the middle of that verse. And it's very enlightening. Look at it. You can see it on the screen. Verse 1 reads right along with what he has preached. You get to verse 2, and he says, and to proclaim the favorable, favorable year of the Lord, and that's where Jesus stops. Why does he stop there and not read the rest? Look at the rest of verse 2 in Isaiah 61. And the day of vengeance of our God. Very unique that he didn't finish that part of Isaiah. Did he mean to leave it out? Well, it's all about the context. Because you see, Jesus came to fulfill the first part. All of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. To proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. But it wasn't during that season of Jesus' life here on earth that deals with the vengeance of God. That day will come later. That will come at the end of time. But Jesus came for a very specific reason. Matter of fact, it's stated, John chapter 3, verse 17. You know John 3, 16. We all know that if we believe in him, we have eternal life and we will not perish. But we have a gift from God. But then, verse 17, that most people forget about, says, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. That comes at a later time. But he was sent into the world that we might be saved through him. So Jesus is preaching from Isaiah, and he says, verses 1 in this last part, or the first part of verse 2, it's being fulfilled in me today. Now, this is the day of the Lord. I am here. I have come to remove your debt and to set you free. What a powerful, powerful sermon. The year of the Lord is our jubilee. It's Jesus saying, I've come to set you free, to pay the debt that you couldn't pay, to remove the penalty of your sin, that you might be set free to return back to your homes and back to an abundant life. That's what God wants to do through Jesus in your life as well. Have you experienced jubilee? Has there been a moment in your life and in your story where you've had to declare, Lord, I'm in bondage to my sin. And Lord, I know my sin separates me. And Lord, I'm in debt to your holiness. And God, I could never pay it back. My self-righteousness, my righteousness is like filthy rags. Lord, I'm in a debt that I can't pay. But Lord, Jubilee, you're my debt payer. You died for my sins. You paid the price for my sins. And as I place my faith in you, Lord Jesus, you set me free. Has that ever happened for you, or do you just know about this Jesus? Do you just know John 3.16, but you don't know the Jesus of John 3.16? If that's you today, I pray that today will be the day of your salvation, that the year of the Lord, the year, the season, that God unleashes his grace would be grace to you today. Now, what does that look like? Well, let's go on, and let's see what Jubilee looks like. Let's see what Jesus came to do. Look at it again, verse 18. First point, he said, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel 
to the poor. Now, earlier in Luke's gospel, we see a record of Mary's prophetic word as she is uh, just spreading out the, the Spirit of God is flowing from her life, and she confesses prophetically these truths. In Luke 1, verse 53, she said, For he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. If you go back in chapter 1, you can read all of her declarations about knowing this Messiah had been birthed to her, a virgin, born of the Holy Spirit, the Messiah, that she would give birth to the Messiah, this blessed one, this blessed one who'd fill the hungry with good things, eternal life, but send away the rich empty-handed. Now, she wasn't talking about physical riches, for we know that rich people aren't alienated from the kingdom. Abraham was a rich man. Uh, we find others like David became king and one of the richest men on the planet. Joseph of Arimathea, who provide the tomb for Jesus and would become a follower of Christ, also a very rich and wealthy man. Others of prominence and wealth would become followers of Christ. It wasn't speaking of a bank account. It was speaking of a heart account. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 gives us a clue. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not the poor in a bank account, not a poor person with regards to assets, retirement accounts, investments, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 1 verse 53 was speaking of a poverty that happens in the heart and the soul, a realization that we have no resources that would qualify us for God's love or for eternal life, a personal bankruptcy that would declare, I am nothing, I'm bankrupt. But God is holy and God is everything. See, that was a problem for the Pharisees and the religious people of Israel. They had a pedigree. They were Abraham's offspring. They were religious. They had worked their way and worked their way into God's favor. And they believed that they were the people of God because they were rich in self-righteousness and rich in their works and rich in their religious dedication. But Jesus would say often, no, you're of your father the devil. It's those who were rich in their religious spirits that were separated. We have to understand the same thing that Paul taught in Romans chapter 7. Paul said, there's nothing good that dwells in me. Nothing. Nothing. I have nothing that I can place before God and say, this is why I should be allowed into heaven. This is why I should be forgiven. He said, there's nothing good that dwells in me. And yet at one point in his life, he thought plenty good dwelt in him. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And yet there was a day he had to declare personal bankruptcy. And there was a day he had to say, Lord, I'm an empty vessel. I'm very religious, but I'm an empty man. Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul, who understood this truth, would go on to say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened or opened so that you would be able to see the hope of your calling, what are the riches of his glory, the riches of his inheritance for those who are the saints. Ephesians 2, 17, a chapter later, he'd say, so that in the ages to come, he, Jesus, might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards those of us who are in Christ. What we come to find out is those who are poor in spirit, when we receive Christ and declare our personal bankruptcy, we become rich 
rich in his mercy, rich in his grace, and rich in his forgiveness. For he came to preach the gospel to the poor. Have you declared your personal bankruptcy? Have you called on the riches of God's forgiveness and God's grace? If you haven't, at the end of the message today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And I pray that you'll stay with me and that you'll keep tuned in and worshiping online with with us and reading through the scriptures as God continues to speak to your heart. There was a second reason Jesus came, a second part of our jubilee. Look at the second part. He said, for he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. That word release in the Greek literally means uh, to set free someone who was in bondage because of their debt, debtor's prison, or a debt that you were working off Uh, that if you couldn't pay your debts back then, you couldn't declare bankruptcy and just walk away from it. No, whoever you borrowed that money from, you became their slave. You became their possession. And you worked for them until you paid off your debt. What we find in Scripture is, well, there's no way we can pay off our debt, our sin, all the things that we've done against the holiness of God. I could never pay it off. Matter of fact, I'd die in my sin and my debt, separated from a holy God. And yet Jesus so loved you and Jesus so loved me, he came to set us free from that debt, to release us from that debt payment. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who commits sin is a slave to that sin. So on one hand, we have a debt we can't pay. On another hand, we find ourselves like a chain and a ball linked to sin, and we're in bondage to that sin. We are all captives, captives to our debt, and captives to sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says this, it was for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to the yoke of slavery. Now here in Galatians, Paul was speaking to believers. But I may be speaking to someone today and and you feel that bondage, that bondage to, to some kind of habit, that bondage to your sin that so easily owns you and enslaves you, you've tried to break away and you just can't get away. You know the power of sin and you know that that has left you empty and wanting. Jesus is the only one that can set you free. He's the only one that can pay the debt and he's the only one who can give you victory over sin. Jesus said, I was sent to proclaim release to the captives. He can set you free this very moment if you'll trust him and if you'll let him. Third thing, He said, and I have been sent to give recovery of sight to the blind. We've looked at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 before. It says that the gospel is veiled to us, that all of us are blind because the God of this world, Satan, has blinded our eyes where we don't see it. I remember going to church with Cammie, and I remember hearing the gospel preached, and I just couldn't see it. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. Look at that on the screen. Matthew 13, verse 13 says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Man, I remember, I remember Sunday after Sunday going to church with Cammie and hearing the gospel preach, I just couldn't see it. I couldn't see how God could love somebody like me, a guy like me. I I couldn't see grace. It didn't make sense to me. What do you mean it's unearned and undeserved? Surely there's something I have to do to be forgiven. Surely there's something I have to do like everything else in life for God to love me. What do I have to do? Just tell me and I'll do it. Do I need to join the church? Do I need to be baptized? I just couldn't see it. I couldn't see that it was unconditional love 
that showed up on a cross. I couldn't see that I had a debt that I couldn't pay. I thought, maybe I could do something to pay it off. Maybe I could make amends for my past. Then all of a sudden, Jesus revealed the truth to me through the preaching of his word and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He showed me my debt that I couldn't pay. I saw it finally. I saw that I had bondage to my sin and my flesh, and I couldn't break the chains no matter how hard I tried. But through Christ, I could be set free. Jesus went on to prophesy, for in the case of the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would have seen with their eyes, heard with their ears, understood with their hearts, and they would have returned, and I would have healed them. Jesus talks about a blindness, a blindness that exists through the hardness of sin in our life, through the lies of the enemy that wants you to be eternally separated from your creator, your holy God. But Jesus came to give you your eyesight back. If you'll just look to Jesus, if you'll just listen to his word today, you'll see the truth. You'll see your debt and you'll see your bondage and he can set you free. Fourth thing Jesus came to do, he said, and God sent me to free those who are oppressed. That word oppressed in the Greek means broken into pieces. It speaks of a broken heart, a broken life, a broken road. All of us can relate to that. A life apart from the one who created us is nothing but broken pieces, broken dreams, broken hearts, broken futures. And Jesus said, I came to put all the pieces back together again. Remember the old fairy tale of Humpty Dumpty? All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. Let me tell you, that's a fairy tale and that's a lie. The truth is, the king of kings came to this earth. He came to pick up all the broken pieces, your broken life and mine. And only Christ, the one who created you, the one who died for you, the one who resurrected again from the dead to give you an abundant life and eternal life, he can put all the pieces back together again. How do I know that? Because he came for the oppressed, the broken. Isaiah 53, again, the same prophet, speaking of the same Messiah, said, Surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried away. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9 says, The Lord is a stronghold. For the oppressed, for those who are broken, there is a safe place. There is a sheltering place where you can be safe from the virus of sin. It's the Lord, your creator and your savior, the Lord Jesus. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And I want to say this to you today, what Isaiah was prophesying, what Jesus preached, what Jesus lived, and what we've seen today in Scripture is this. And when you come to a place of bankruptcy, a place of brokenness where you finally admit and realize without God in my life, I have nothing. I'm bankrupt. And you turn to the riches of his forgiveness and grace, you will not be disappointed. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
I'll never forget, I had tried everything in this world, and I was left empty, broken, and disappointed. I remember that night when I gave my life to Christ, and I remember in that moment, I can't, you, you, just, have to, you just have to experience yourself. There's no way to explain it, but in that moment, all things were made new, and I received the riches of Christ Jesus, his forgiveness, his grace, his life, and his presence in me, and his power. He set me free. He'll do the same for you. But you must believe. And when you do, you'll never be disappointed. Fifth thing he came to do, he says, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What is the year of the Lord? What was that phrase that he was speaking of? Well, the answer is it was the time when God was dispensing grace to sinners. It was the season of jubilee. He was saying, I will accomplish for you what you've celebrated, what you've done here in Israel, pointed to what I would do for you for all of eternity. I will set you free from your debt. I will release you from the bondage of being a bond servant to someone else, paying off a debt you could never pay off. This is the year of the Lord. I am the fulfillment of that scripture. I will set you free. It's our year of jubilee. It's the season of grace and forgiveness. But remember the last part of verse 2 in Isaiah. While there's the year of jubilee, there's a coming day and a coming time of justice, vengeance, and the judgment of God. I don't know when that will be. I know we're closer to it than we've ever been. I know it could be at any moment. The season of grace could close. Back in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus was speaking, he said this, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. They didn't get to see it. And hear what you hear and didn't get to hear it. Isaiah dreamed about that day when Messiah would appear. He prophesied about those days. But he didn't get to see it with his eyes or hear it with his ears. He just preached it. There were countless other generations that were looking to their deliverer. But this day in this synagogue, they saw the fulfillment of that scripture. And this moment on this day in 2020, as you're viewing and worshiping online, you get to see the truth and you get to hear the truth. What a privilege. What an opportunity. What will you do with what you've heard and what you've seen in Scripture? Don't play a game with it. Don't push it off. Don't neglect what others desire to have that you get this very moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. This is the year of the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made for you to be saved and for you to be right with him. And if that's you who I'm speaking to right now, would you bow your head and just pray? Remember what it said earlier, for those who believe in him, they will not be disappointed. Another scripture says, for all who would believe in him, to them he would give the right to become a child of God, a brand new person. Jubilee, your debt has been paid. And you're released from the bondage of your sin as you place your faith in Christ. You say, I don't know how to do that. What do I do? You have to receive Christ just like you do a gift. The Bible says that eternal life is the gift of God. And just like any other gift, 
It's yours when you receive it. You say, how do I do that? You call in the name of the Lord. You say, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Would you be willing to pray that right now? Would you be willing to place your faith, declare your bankruptcy? Say, Lord, I need your riches. I need your forgiveness. I receive you as my Lord. If you just prayed like that just now, God has saved you and God has changed you. Reach out to our online pastor. Let him know just in the chat box or email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. Confess what God has done in your life today. Now, I would encourage you too, if you already know that Jesus is your Savior, do you know him as your sustainer? Do you know him as the one that has given you eyes to see truth? Do you know him as the one that sets you free from the bondage of sin? Or have you found yourself running back to the same old stuff that used to have you in bondage? Let Jesus set you free. I want to pray for you right now. Father God, as we finish this time in your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak truth into each and every person's life today. And Lord, not only speak truth, but you would be the convictor that you would convict us where we're falling short of your glory, where the enemy has tried to take us back into that debt prison, tried to take us back into bondage in a certain area of sin. God, be their deliverer in this very moment. Set the captive free. Today, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, reach out to us online. Reach out to the online pastor. You can do that as well, or you can email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. And we'll walk you through. We'll call you. We'll email you. However you want to converse, we will find a way to connect and encourage you in your journey of faith. But each and every day you wake up, God is your provider, and he has daily provision, just like that manna we spoke about earlier. And he will daily set you free, and he will daily open your eyes to truth, and he will daily fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit, and you can live in victory. I want to challenge you. Stay in the book of Luke. Let him open your eyes to who Jesus is and how you can love like Jesus loves. Know that we'll be praying for you and we want to serve you any way we can. Reach out to us. Let us know how we can minister to you. But until then, stay in the word and let the Lord stay in your heart as he flows through your life. God loves you and so do we. Have a blessed week in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.